0: What's going on everybody? Welcome back to Matt Goes to the Movies and today it is Rob and myself doing the movie Justice League. Now in anticipation of the Snyder Cut coming to HBO Max on March 18th uh, Rob and I thought it would be, Rob, should we say
1: fun to review Justice League? (laughs) I'm not sure fun's the right word for it. Um, Informative for sure. Um, It's been a while since I've actually seen the theatrical release of it. So in anticipation of of what we're actually going to get with the Snyder cut, I was actually looking forward to uh, revisiting this so that I've got a frame of reference when we get uh, the um, uh, unprecedented director's cut uh, on HBO Max soon. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly is unprecedented what
0: we're getting and... It's going to be very interesting to see what the difference is because even from the trailers, you can tell that the Snyder cut is a completely different cut from what we got in the theatrical version. And you can see, you know, going back, and I don't know if it was the same for you, but rewatching Justice League, it's even more apparent the small parts that got left in the movie that are Snyder and what is Whedon.
1: Um, I, I think everything is very clear now, the, the cuts in the movie. I think it will be even more clear once we actually get to see the Snyder cut. I mean, to the best of your knowledge, what percentage of this film that we, that we have available to us now was actually Snyder's original compared to how much of it was reshot? I mean, it's, I think it's like 80 or 90%, isn't it? Yeah, it was really, when I was reading the results, it was like these crazy
0: numbers that 80 pages of script got rewritten Um, You can certainly tell from like color palettes, the way certain things are framed. Um, It's a lot of change, um, especially to a movie that really seemed to have been completed except for post-production for Snyder's version. So to to go that far with what we got with the theatrical version, um, just all around there's a lot of weird things about how this movie was released and how it's being re-released
1: it's it's certainly like you said unprecedented it's it's so bizarre and and for most listeners who may not be familiar 80 so a page of screenplay is about a minute of screen time so 80 pages is about 80 minutes um which is you know for a 2 hour movie that's more than half um so you got to wonder how much was kept you got to wonder you know how much of what we you know, have available to us on HBO max will actually be anything like um, what we get in a four hour justice league movie that I'm not, I don't know if I need four hours, but um, I, man, I know you're super excited for the Snyder <laughs> cut. Um, and I, and I will actually say this having rewatched this recently, uh, I am actually more excited uh, for the Snyder cut version because, um, and I know we'll definitely get into this more, but there's, there's parts of this movie. This movie's not well-regarded. Okay, we can just get that out of the way. It is it is not critically well-reviewed. It did not make back its its budget at the box office initially. Um, it's not well-regarded by most fans. Um, but it is actually a better movie than I think it gets credit for. And it doesn't get credit for a lot. Um, but there's parts and pieces here. There's some really great casting. There's some good performances. There's, there's some good bones to this that... If so much of what we saw was rewritten and reshot, and what Snyder has is is using the best of what's available, um, this could actually be pretty good. But I'll, I'll tell you, I'm I'm hearing there's a recent story from Warner Brothers that they're saying they were not impressed with the Snyder cut. I don't know if you've read that or not, but. Um, there's definitely some conflicting uh, stories about how good it's actually going to be. At one point, it sounded like the Snyder Cut was going to maybe be re, you know, kind of retconned as the official version of Justice League. And, and as, as, as this movie did very poorly, it seemed like the only DCEU characters that were going to be moving forward were uh, Wonder Woman and, and Aquaman and their solo films have done well. there it seemed like henry cavill was done it seemed like affleck was definitely done there was there was so much talk about a standalone bat film that was coming that he just completely said nope i'm done i I want nothing to do with this anymore but now we're hearing he's back you know there was supposed to be a cyborg movie there was supposed to be a flash movie there was talk about green lantern there was multiple justice league sequels planned and then all that kind of got scrapped because of how poorly this movie did in the reception of this But then as the Snyder cut momentum built, it seems like some of this is coming back. It sounds like, you know, we've heard that Ben Affleck is involved in the Flashpoint film. We're going to see him, which is exciting. Um, You know, they have continued on with Wonder Woman in a second film, where it's probably going to be a second Aquaman film. They've Uh,
0: released production photos for the Flash movie. So we know that that's actually up and running.
1: Yeah. but there's some ugliness with Ray Fisher and uh, and his cyborg uh, character, and whether or not he's ever going to be back. There's there's certainly a lot of, of just you know, I guess no other way to put it. There's just ugliness about some of his allegations about some of the stuff that happened on set uh, with Joss Whedon. So the it's if nothing else, the theatrical version of Justice League and then what becomes the Snyder Cut is is such a compelling, fascinating story whether or not the films are actually any good, it's it's almost not as interesting as the story around them. Yeah. um, That's a, that's a great point, but you know, let's, let's talk
0: about justice league. Um, (laughs) I suppose we have to, (laughs) you know, uh, listen fans. um, What we're going to do here is we're actually going to get into the spoilers portion. We're going to start talking about this movie because I think we covered, you know, a lot of our thoughts Uh, about this movie here in that opening segment there. So if for some reason you haven't seen this version of Justice League and you're just now saying, oh, I'm going to watch this because of the Snyder Cut release, uh, this is where you would pause this episode and you would go watch Justice League. But for anybody who's not afraid of spoilers, uh, here we go. And one of the things that was a huge it's not controversy, but it came into a laughing stock about this movie, um, was the fact that they had to de-digitalize Henry Cavall's mustache because he was filming Mission Impossible. And right out of the gate for me, I, I go and see this movie in the theater. I actually, I was supposed to go with my girlfriend at the time, and I was so eager to see this movie that I did not wait for her to get out of work. I went and saw it first thing in the morning, um, which I had to hide from her when we went back and saw it at six o'clock. So I actually subjected myself to this movie twice in the same day when it first released. Um, But you open with a shot of Henry Cavall and you can tell immediately something's wrong with this dude's face. I don't understand why you open the movie like that.
1: if you weren't going to be able to make the CG look better, then I think you just have to scrap it and you have to stick with what was available. You know, I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about why some of these decisions were made and, and you think about you know a movie that we just said was pretty much done and just needed the post production supervised you know that's always been part of my reticence about if the Snyder Cut's going to actually be any good or not because Joss Whedon um, coming off of films like The Avengers is a, as a director we have faith in he's a director we trust for these kinds of things. Um, And he looked at what he had to work with and he said, oh, holy crap, I got to add 80 more pages to this. You know, what about the original stuff he had to work with made him decide to do that and and ultimately say, "Okay, yep, the mustache looks really bad, digitally removed, but it's the best we got. So we'll just move forward with this. I, you know, I I share excitement, but also apprehension about what the Snyder cut is going to be of this film. But holy cow, that opening, it just it. And it didn't really even seem necessary. I mean, if you want to try to make it feel that people are mourning the, the loss of Superman, we don't need this opening. We don't need it at all. It doesn't, you know, the kids that are doing the podcast or whatever, we don't see them again. They don't matter. You don't know their names. Like, it's it's pointless. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that, uh, again, I, I think
0: based on some of your comments that rewatching, again, I just said I put myself through seeing this movie twice (laughs) on its opening day. Um, I've actually watched it now six times in total. I've watched this movie. Um, And another thing that just is really odd to me is the whole, apparently world shift on how they view Superman. Because at the end of Batman V Superman, there were still people that were mad because they blamed him for the Capitol bombing when they were having that that trial, and he was there. Um, it's not like people really love Superman in Batman v. Superman, and whether or not we'll see the Snyder Cut maybe go on that, I feel like this movie kind of ignored some of the things in Batman v. Superman, and it just made everybody seem like... Everybody was in love with Superman and some of the themes and especially I, I want to get to to the the opening scene with Batman when we first see him and the criminal, um, which to me was a really cringeworthy line at the end by this guy. I was just confused at how all of a sudden everybody really did mourn Superman because there's not a really good transition there. It,
1: it's not. and it there's a lot of this film that it seems like decisions were made for convenience of plot, not because it actually makes sense. And and you're right, The Death of Superman certainly is one. And, you know, one of the things that frustrates me when we get comic or film adaptions of classic, iconic comic storylines is when they're wasted. So previously, I talked about how I, I enjoy, just as a film, Thor Ragnarok, but I resent the fact that will never truly get a film version of planet Hulk and world war Hulk, which is just an incredible, uh, arc in, in, in the comics. So they kind of bastardized it really for a, a piece of the Ragnarok movie. Um, the death of Superman is something that could have been a truly just fascinating film. Um, could have i mean you know first of all having to introduce doomsday and batman v superman which is oh my god i i feel stupid just saying that title it's so dumb um <laughs> i just i can't help batman v superman uh, oh my god but the film was just trying to do too much you're rebooting batman you're trying to kickstart a a connected universe with gif files by the way yeah <laughs> um and and you're introducing a new wonder woman you're introducing a new lex luthor you're introducing doomsday like What's one of the things I hate about that film is how they they wasted Doomsday. That should have been its own film. The Death of Superman should have been its own film. And it should have hit a certain way. And it's wasted. It is absolutely wasted at, between this film and, and Batman v Superman. Um, you know, I really think partially part of the reason this movie is viewed so poorly is we've seen comic movies executed so well. You know, we've seen the Avengers. We talked about it. That just lands on every level. We previously had Christopher Nolan's, you know, Dark Knight trilogy that that really helped everybody understand that comic movies can actually be uh, well put together films, not just, you know, guys in tights slugging each other in the face. They can be film. They (laughs) can be film. You know, we've had Logan. We've had all of these things that have, you know, challenged. The idea that superhero films are just, you know, throw popcorn in your face and, and you know, just enjoy what, you know, the the uh, spectacle in front of you, but could actually have emotion. Um, you know, we've seen so many great examples of film in the superhero genre. This film is not one of those. Um, it just isn't. And, and we wanted it to be so badly. I mean, look, it's not Dark Phoenix either. It's not X-Men Origins Wolverine um but on a rewatch, look this movie is not batman and robin it's not that level of bad um there is a lot of interesting things there is some great casting gal gadot as wonder woman is fantastic and somebody Uh, who was
0: criticized when she was first cast and people were losing their minds of when she was cast as wonder woman and you know it was the same thing with ben affleck though when he was cast as batman people were up in arms about it i think he's worse in this movie than Batman v Superman, because he was the best part of that movie, and it's like he took a step back. Um, but yeah, you said it before the casting is unbelievable.
1: It's like, really good. Th- there's some really there's some home runs with the casting. And it it's that's what I think one of the frustrating things is this film starts going because at the beginning, there's yeah, there's the opening scene that's not great, but it's it's really once you get about three-quarters of the way into this movie that everything just really falls apart. It's Sadly, it reminds me of another Ben Affleck superhero movie in Daredevil that kind of starts off with some promise, some wonkiness for sure, um, but definitely falls apart on the back end of it and and just becomes, I don't want to say unwatchable, because I don't actually think this movie is unwatchable. Um, We're not in that territory, and it's not even so good it's bad laugh at it like a Batman and Robin is. It it, It could have been so much more than it was, and it's frustrating because it should have been better.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the best words to describe it is frustrating because it should have been better. And one of the things where, you know, you said, oh, it's not Batman and Robin, you know, it's not Batman and Robin bad. To me, it's it's not worse than the fact that it's a worse movie. It's worse in the fact that it should have been better because at least Batman and Robin now, it's kind of refreshing to hear everybody talk about that movie and just openly say, it sucks, we know it sucks, we're sorry. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, don't, you know, we're sorry if we made you hate Batman for 15 years. Um, with this movie though, again, you have somebody who at the time, you know, again, let's not even get into everything that's now being said about, you know, Josh Whedon and everything like that, but you had a guy who Did the Avengers, who, you know, eh, some missteps with the Age of Ultron, but he had very good runs with TV shows. He had, for me, he did the movie The Cabin in the Woods, which, as a horror movie fan, I thought was fantastic. He's had really good runs, and he's shown that he can do, you know, successful team-up movies and things like that. But this one isn't, like you said, it's not you watch it and it's so bad that it's good so you appreciate it. You go back and watch it, and you're like, what in the hell actually happened? Like, what are some of these decisions? Um, and one of them, for me, too, one of these decisions is is Batman in this movie. Um, again, regardless of – and some of this might be because he did try to follow off of it, but, you know, his – turn on superman and batman v superman of oh my god we have the same name like, you know he's so adamant that he, he always uses percentages and that's actually one thing that makes me laugh you know if, if there's even a fraction of a chance that he's our enemy we have to take it as an absolute certain because if he turns into our enemy we can't stop him so we can never let it get to that point um you know just because you have the same you know mom's name does not change what he thought about the possibility of superman being able to wipe out the planet um you know he, him too he just seems to be a complete 180 from batman v superman without any explanation um and backtracking for me the scene where he tracks down the thug who's stealing um god it's like it he's like he's got a
1: knapsack of like china like the guy's (laughs) like it sounds like plates in the bag um seems a little bit below batman's like you know his his lane but
0: he's going to use him you know to draw out we find a parademon because they you know strive on fear which again seems like a plot convenience because there's fear throughout the entire movie but we don't see these guys um but after the parademon explodes, like Batman's just standing there chilling with this thug. And he's like, oh, it's because he's gone, right? That's why they're coming here. Like he, like, he cares about Superman. Like, he knows that these parademons, like, everybody's aware that all of a sudden the world's in turmoil because Superman's dead. Even though, guess what? In this universe, Superman was doing crap for years. Like he was saving an
1: oil rig here and there with his shirt off, but nobody knew what was going on. He really hadn't been on the job very long, and, and the Batman we're presented with were, we're expected to believe. I, I even want to say Alfred has a line in here that he's been on, you know, he's been on patrol 20 years or so. I yeah. think is, is mentioned at some point. So, Batman in this continuity is an established hero, um, whereas Superman kind of showed up about an hour and a half ago, did one <laughs> or two things, and then he died. Um, so yeah it it does feel really weird it feels like a plot convenience it feels like lazy writing really is is what it is um you know the other thing that i was just so obvious all the marketing up to this movie you saw all the other characters but you never saw superman included in it you didn't see him in any of the promotional shots you don't see him in most of the the posters or the other things that kind of we're out promoting this, all the fast food tie-ins or whatever. Did anybody really think they weren't going to find a way to resurrect Superman? Like, to me, that was just like, uh, like you're going to do a Justice League movie and not resurrect mm-hmm. Superman. Like, I just didn't believe it for one second. And, it, and it, I, I honestly, like, it angered me a little bit because it's like, you're not giving me the the cinema fan, like any credit for knowing what you're doing. Like, just kind of tell me that we're doing that. It felt like they were trying
0: to hook you in to be like, oh, go see the movie to see if he comes back. But any real fan would know that he is. And by the way the movie, like even the casual fan, I feel would have been able to just be like, well, there's no way he's not in this. So it's like they use it as a hook, but it was more to me insulting that you just left him out of every single promotional material. Because maybe... Yeah that drew away some people that were like oh well what's like oh he's really not going to be in this and you know maybe it's a small percentage but i feel like the way that they tried to market it could have actually drew people away instead of bringing them in like the hook the hook wasn't there
1: yeah absolutely not and like i said i think it's just kind of insulting to us the viewer that you didn't like kind of just embrace the fact that that was part of it um As we go through this film, one of the things that is clear to me and very obvious, this movie is dark and depressing for really no other reason than just to be dark and depressing. Some of the things they're trying to get us to feel an emotion around or try to, you know, insinuate oh terrible things are happening, you should feel a certain way about this, you know, there's there's all of this darkness, but it hasn't earned the right for it to matter to us. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, sure, this is really the third film, so we we have Man of Steel followed by, you know, Batman v Superman and then we roll right into this, which was kind of a gamble to not have these other characters really set up well the way that we got in in the Marvel, you know, cinematic universe so it was really a risk, but it was, it it was okay. It it felt rushed to me, certainly, but none of the things that we were supposed to actually care about, it just really mattered. You know, it's, it just felt like it was trying to say, "Oh, everything is dark and gloomy. And we, the audience just don't really care about it. And it didn't pay off well for me. Yeah. That's,
0: you know, it's a lot of sometimes what seems like lazy writing. There's, You know, situations that you're supposed to care about, but why would you? Because, again, this team has not been together. Um, You know, even Bruce and Diana's relationship, you're led to believe that not, you know, from like an attraction standpoint, but you're led to believe that there's something there. But again, there's... They just, there's no in between you go from Batman V Superman where she joins the fight, but you don't see them like have any sort of interaction in between the two movies or why they would be so close. Like, again, it's just like, I don't know. It's like when you're a kid and you're like, Oh my God, you like Pepsi? I like Pepsi. Let's be friends. Like, (laughs) um, you know, I, I just felt like not being able to, really show this team coming together or meeting beforehand and just, you know, his montage of going and getting people and then, you know, bringing the team together and Rob, obviously you're going to correct me here if I'm wrong, but I think one, when we first talked about this movie, you said one bright spot for you was the flash. And I've heard that from a lot of people, but I'm somebody who really did, not like him i do not think his humor landed at all for me it's very out of place but i think i remember you saying
1: he you liked him when we first discussed this movie years back so on rewatch um some of his moments some of his bits work really well and some fall completely flat and i think that's where you wonder how much of this was edited in because you've heard that the original film was super dark, and they were trying to add some levity. Certainly, we've seen the success with the MCU and, and its lighter tone in some points. So you wonder how much of that was studio meddling to try to make it lighter. I think we heard that was true with um, Suicide Squad as well, that there was a lot yeah. of reshoots for that to try to add some levity to it. And by the way, Suicide Squad was was actually kind of fun. I didn't. I mean, it's not my favorite movie ever, but I actually like it better than most people um I, I like it better than this movie um yeah. yeah and i i wish that movie would have had the parademons instead of the putties that we got which the, it was it was supposed, supposed to, to it be. was supposed to introduce the parademons and it would have maybe made more sense you know if all of this was was related actually now that i'm thinking about it was justice league after uh just League was after suicide squad i think i had my timeline yep. wrong earlier um so I, I gotta correct myself there um but there were definitely parts of of The Flash, you know, adding a little bit of, of levity um, that did land. And some of it, for me, just it didn't work. It, it felt out of place. It landed flat on its face. And I guess really more than anything, you have to tell me whether or not that's the interpretation of Barry Allen that you want. Because that's not really his character in the comics. I mean, he certainly has moments that are quite funny and are quite humorous, but he's also dealing with a lot of serious stuff too. I mean, certainly a lot of the stuff with reverse flash and, and you start thinking about all the way he bends time and space around him and it gets to be some pretty heavy stuff. Um, I'm not necessarily sure this was the version of Barry Allen that I, that I wanted. Um, And some of it, especially when it lands flat, it just, it makes it harder to appreciate the stuff that actually was funny.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're a comic book fan and you've seen things from Flash uh, or if you watch the CW show, The Flash, um, which had some strong seasons and it's had some bad seasons. But, you know, Barry isn't somebody, you know, there's a line in this movie where he's like, oh, it's really cool that you guys are all ready to do battle, but I've never done battle. I've, I've pushed people and ran away. Um, that's not Barry Allen. like. Yeah. Barry Allen is in the battle, um, so yeah. There's some there's some parts that actually are entertaining to me about him uh, when they first go to the Batcave and he's just kind of like this kid who's starstruck by the fact that like, holy cow, like this guy actually exists and like look at all this stuff he has. Um, that landed for me, but you know, one scene that's just cringeworthy to me is when and this is jumping forward and we'll obviously go back, but when they're in the hangar and the lasso of truth is underneath Aquaman, which how did it even get there? And he didn't notice it, but it leads to the scene where, you know, it, which was kind of funny where he's talking about, Oh, I don't want to die. And then he goes to wonder Woman, and he's like, oh you're gorgeous. I don't care that we used to fight. Like that <laughs> had nothing to do with me. Um, but then when he goes by Barry, and he says, "You tell anybody about this, you'll meet every piranha I know." And he's like, "I didn't hear anything after we're all gonna die. Like, really? You you didn't hear the last two and a half minutes of that conversation? You blanked out? Like, to me, that stuff doesn't land. It made him seem
1: stupid. Like, yeah, I I actually thought that that whole bit with Jason. First of all, I think he's fantastic as Aquaman. I yeah, think that's he, been." He, uh, him as Aquaman is one of the best castings that we've seen. Um, I'm going to just go ahead and say in almost any superhero film, I mean, he's uh, not, probably not as good as RDJ as Tony Stark. I mean, that to me is probably the apex, um, just the perfect alignment. Um, I guess I got to say Patrick Stewart as, as Charles Xavier. That's it. That's the one. Um, and then you get RDJ, but Jason Momoa as Aquaman, has um, taken a character that is not at all popular in comics. In fact, gets made fun of a lot because he talks to fish and his powers are stupid. You know, like yeah. a lot of people bag on Aquaman. Um, but Jason Momoa has made that character cool. He, he's um, a guy who oozes charisma in this role. Like he yeah, really does, he yeah. owns the screen. He's got a great presence. I mean, and, and his solo film is fantastic. I I really enjoy it. I think it's really a high point of, of the DC extended universe so far. Um, I actually liked that scene. I thought he was really funny at that moment. And, and as they're getting ready to go into a fairly serious battle, you know, I thought it was, it was kind of interesting to, to get that moment, but you know, for to have a superhero be an an outright coward just didn't work. Um, It, It was kind of funny in the moment but you just go ugh you know like it's (laughs) yes it is it's it's a line played for a laugh but it's still kind of an ugh for me yeah
0: um you know one character that we have not talked about yet is is cyborg and we certainly mentioned very briefly what's going on with the actor that has played cyborg but we've heard that Cyborg is the heart and soul of Snyder's version of this movie. Um, And he's really regulated here, but you know, some of the things with Cyborg in this movie that are strange to me is again, like lazy writing. There's a scene where he's upstairs in an apartment or if it's where he lives with his dad, it's never really like made known. Um, He starts talking about why he doesn't go anywhere and, I can't remember the exact line, but he's like, oh, you wouldn't want them to see the monster and mm-hmm. his dad says, you're not a monster Victor and he's like, oh funny that you thought I was talking about me and it's like everything you just said indicates that it's that you're talking yeah. about you like there's no there's no surprise there there's no question you you literally were just describing yourself and yep. it's
1: lazy writing there's a lot of lazy writing with Victor's character that that make me, you know, it, it's a lot of creating conflict for the sake of there being conflict. It, there's really no reason for it. It's just his general melancholy. He's walking around all pissed for really no reason. Like his, he, yes, he lost his mother, but his dad did some incredibly illegal stuff and took huge risks to try to save his life Um, in the only way that he knew how. And it seems like Victor's, you know, it's almost like I didn't ask to be born or it's kind of of like that, that teenage argument. Like I didn't ask you to save me. Like, dude, you've, you've got a chance at life. Like your father took incredible risk. And it just seems like very lazy writing that we're supposed to believe there's this conflict between him and his dad. And then there's this conflict between him and wanting to be a part of this and join the team and not really wanting to embrace, um, go ahead and call it the gifts that he has now. You know, certainly he looks very different. He doesn't function as a normal human being anymore because he's, he's a cyborg. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's there's other things that he's capable of doing and he seems so resistant to embrace all of those things. Um, and it just doesn't, like, if you just stop and ask yourself why, you don't have a reason. Like there's, yeah. there's nothing there's nothing that sets up why there's this conflict except lazy writing. Yeah, I mean,
0: geez, we haven't even gotten into the villain of this movie yet. Um, Steppenwolf. His
1: CG is so bad. Yeah. In some parts. It's terrible.
0: It's terrible. Um, And again, there's some lazy writing with him as well. There's one particular line where he's looking for the mother boxes. And he says the line of, you know, mother, I see I see now why you waited so long to wake me. Like, the Kryptonian's death put this world into such darkness. And again, it's like, this guy was not around. Like, he was not around for long enough for this world to just be like, there's no hope anymore. Superman's yeah. gone. Like, it doesn't make sense. And he can conveniently... You know, he conveniently finds the mother box in Atlantis. He has no problem. He just beams down and it's there. Um, But yet when he's questioning the workers for Star Labs and he's like, you have the smell of the mother box all over you.
1: You don't know where that one, like, can you find them or not? Like, there's just a lot of really lazy writing. There's a lot of things that are not set up well. And just things that when you, when you have to start asking one or two questions and you don't actually understand the answer, I think it tells you why this movie didn't wasn't received the way that it could have been. And again, the setup, there's so many great pieces in place that it does make me curious how much of this was Whedon's interference and how much of this was the original screenplay um how much of this was adapted how much did we keep um we certainly know there's there's elements obviously the return of superman we know that we're going to get him in his black costume which was not used at all which seems strange to me why would you not use that like you see it
0: there's a glimpse of it when he first goes into the ship um there's a pod that
1: actually no it's not even in the theatrical cut it was a deleted scene when the movie was released on blu-ray Oh, I've not seen those. Um, I've just seen the, uh, my recent rewatch was done on HBO Max. So it's, um, you know, I wouldn't have had a, had a chance to peep those. But it just, um, it there is so many parts of this that it just seems like they introduce an idea or they put out a piece of dialogue or they show you a scene. And you're not supposed to just question it. You're just supposed to accept it and just kind of let the movie move on from there. Um, you know, especially this. There's the, the part where they show the flashback and it's got, you know, all of these different armies coming together to stop Steppenwolf. And you have, you know, the Atlanteans, you have the the Amazons, you have the world of men. Um, and you're supposed to not understand that was blatantly ripped off from Lord of the Rings. Like that's that's definitely, you know, part of The Hobbit, I think, mm-hmm. you know, like it it really and it was better done in The Hobbit than it was done here. And then they tease us, they show us a Green Lantern, and then that's all the more we get of it. And it, 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 what was really cool is I love the fact that they showed, you know, one of them got killed in battle, and then the ring immediately yep. took off to find its its new host. Um, you know, I, I did kind of like that nod. Um, but, uh, you know, I would, I would certainly love to see an, an on-screen uh, Green Lantern that as a good movie, uh, not, not the one we got. Um <laughs> you know that that would be really cool although i'm kind of glad they didn't with this cuz they already tried to do too much they already tried to introduce too many new characters and most of it didn't didn't work as well as what it could have um you know even little things like they showed us a different version throughout you know the dceu we 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 get a different version of alfred than what we've ever seen before yeah. normally alfred is um you know kindly older gentleman very caring um you know we've we've seen some different ones that are pretty good uh, you know michael crane was good in the comics typically he's portrayed um as you know kind of the the loving adoptive father and and you really get that that father-son love relationship between the two of them while also serving as kind of mission control. Here, he's he's just, you know, mission control and, and a trusted advisor and friend. And it's an interesting take. Um, and Jeremy Irons is fantastic in it. And I, I love his line when they're talking about trying to recruit Wonder Woman, will you be Bruce's teammate, yes or no? You know, like right. there's little bits like that that are actually really funny and are set up well. Um, that it just, it makes you realize this movie could have been so much more. Yeah, he's he's a really good part of
0: both Batman v Superman and this movie. He has some really he has some really good lines, and it's more so he's a lot more direct in these movies with Bruce. Like he he calls him out a ton, um, especially in Batman v Superman on his on his crap sometimes. Um, yeah. So he's a he's a really good part of this movie. And I do like how he talks to Bruce when they're talking about resurrecting Superman. I like how he sits there and says, you know, but what does Clark need? Right. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's at peace. And you shouldn't you shouldn't bother that. Um, I like that a lot. I actually think that's one of like a very good moment in this movie, um, which for me is few and far in between. <laughs> but, you know, let's let's talk about the fact that they're going to, resur- you know, when they sit there and figure out, you know, again, Bruce goes into his calculations with, if there's a fraction of a chance, we can bring them back. We have to do it. We, we have to use the mother box to do it. Um, and then there's more, manufactured conflict between him and Diana where she talks about you know oh I was there and you didn't you didn't kill superman and like why do we have to bring him back because of your guilt and then like she immediately it's like a weird transition like there was supposed to be more in that scene where she goes why do we have to bring him back because of your guilt and she makes like this cringe worthy face and it's like, oh, I was there, Bruce. You didn't kill Superman. Like, yeah. it, It's a weird transition cut where it seemed like there should have been more dialogue there, but there wasn't.
1: Well, we're going to have four hours of the Snyder Cut. Right? Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's twice the length of this movie. There could have been a whole half hour scene in right? there. Um, I'll be curious. That'll be a scene that I'll be curious to to revisit for sure to see, you know, what actually happened. but. You know, it's just another example of lazy writing in the theatrical version of what we got is is there's conflict for the sake of conflict. And then it just resolves itself without really the audience understanding why the person who changed their mind did so. I, I don't think it's well explained it. She kind of does explain it a little bit. But it's it's just like, listen, she felt very, very strongly about this idea on on one end of it and then just kind of flipped um, and, and the resurrection scene in general is just kind of like, okay, so why does he have to touch it at the exact moment? Like, is it mm-hmm. is like how much of the mother box needs to be in the water? Is it just like one micron? Is it an inch? Like what's the actual amount that it needs to be here? Um, it, And then of course, you know, Superman explodes out and, and you get that whole bit where he's, you know, trying to choke Bruce and, and you worry that maybe he's going to be, know kind of uh, frankenstein's monster you know where he's he's reincarnated and brought back from the dead and um you get just the worst of all of the digital mustache removals is in this scene it's It's such a close-up too bad like if you're gonna do it like at least pull the shot back so it's hidden a little bit you know shoot most of it from over his shoulder so that it's you're getting just the reaction you know there's so many ways they could have tried to hide it better and it almost feels like Whedon just kind of sat down in the editing room and is like, "Well, it's, the best is going to be here, guys." Like it, it almost feels like at times like they just gave up, like that's the best is going to be, like here's what you get. Um, but the the worst of the digital stash removals is is in this scene here. Yeah, I, again, I feel like this scene
0: here is more of conflict for conflict because I don't know, you know, Superman dies fighting with Bruce and wonder woman. And he doesn't know Diana. He just knows that she's there at the end of Batman V Superman. So, okay. But you, your life ended fighting with Batman. You guys had made amends to me again. It's just like you wake up again. I know there's a line from Aquaman. That's like, you know, you lose part of yourself, maybe your soul, But, again, it's, like, just kind of ham-fisted in there for me. Because, really, why do you have a problem, Bruce, when you woke back up? Like, I remember you. And you come after him, and you're like, do you bleed? And we just talked about it. Just You have to show a close-up of his face, which looks terrible. Um, But also, too, I guess nobody in this universe cares about secret identities because there's two cops in this scene, and they're just openly calling him Clark. Um, Like... And I know, but, you know, so I guess whatever. Um, But everybody was so secretive about it in the beginning, like when Lois and his mom are talking, and at the end he's wearing the glasses again, like he's got to have a disguise on. But you just openly talked about this guy with people around you. Um, There's one good part about that scene, though, and that's a flash. I do like that where he's starting to try and run into the fight and you just see soups turn his head like he's on par with him for speed and you just see that look on Barry's face like uh wait
1: I'm not used to this this right, has never like, happened before like that's good i like that yeah it's it's some it's kind of some bad cg but the menacing look that we get from superman that was really cool and very impactful i i do like that aspect of it and then what gets weird to me is so he pieces out of there and he ends up in Smallville and holy crap, Martha Kent made it to Smallville fast in her truck, right? Cause right. she was just in Metropolis not that long ago um she got there like at warp speed like was was barry pushing the truck to get her back there she's
0: got that fast and furious vehicle
1: yeah (laughs) um and and you get some some bad and i don't know if it's just bad lighting or bad cg but this scene the lighting just is off it doesn't look real they're in a cornfield maybe like there's just something about this that seems off and and it's, it's kind of a bummer because I really like Amy Adams and I, I would like to see her return as Lois Lane. We don't I don't know for sure if that's going to happen or not at this point. There is, you know, talk that, yes, she was. And then, no, she wasn't. And maybe and we don't know if now there's even talk that they're rebooting Superman, possibly with Michael B. Jordan in the in the title role. And maybe it's connected to the EU Maybe it's his own separate thing, like how the Robert Pattinson Batman is different. Like the D.C. universe is kind of a mess, like. We just want this all to make sense. We want, as fans, these movies to have an understanding and have it make sense. At the same time, we want good movies. You know, we want just interesting things to watch and be happy about in our and our superhero movies to be good, but I I want them to make sense.
0: Well, they keep flip-flopping on what they say they're gonna do. So at first it was Okay, everything is connected. And then this movie came out and it really, like, this is the movie where they talked about this derailed the DCEU's plans for a a shared universe. And they were like, well, now we're just going to focus on individual movies. And you had Shazam, which I enjoyed. And you had Aquaman, which I did enjoy. I thought there were some issues with it. But again, I enjoyed it. And it was like, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to focus on individual stories and maybe eventually down the line we're going to bring things together, but these can truly act as standalone movies. Then the Snyder cut is announced and it's going to be released. And then you hear maybe, well, this might bring Snyder back and he might get to finish his vision with justice league part two. And then we have Robert Pattinson's Batman. That's not supposed to, it's supposed to be its own thing. But then we hear Ben Affleck is going to come back as Batman and you know, he's going to be in Flashpoint, and they just keep going back and forth on whether or not this is going to be a multiverse now, whether it's individual movies, and you just have to say, well, this Batman is, they're just doing this movie because. They don't know, they're back to the, the point of they don't know what they want to do with their own movie universe, and to the casual person, and again I, we've talked about on other shows where theaters are dead yeah. um but to the casual person it, you're probably pushing some people away because they're like i i don't know what this is I, I don't know what i'm supposed to be you know so wait a minute why is this guy like i even had somebody go so wait a minute why is the twilight guy batman but ben affleck is like casual people
1: don't know what's going on here It's sometimes hard for super fans of this genre like you and I to really be able to understand how, you know, and I don't want to say this in a disparaging way. When I say the word casual fan, I don't I definitely don't mean that in a disparaging way. I think one of the great things about fandom is the ability to embrace the things that make you happy, you know, like. For me, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who's really into Harry Potter. It's not just, it's never done anything for me, but I don't look down on anybody who loves Harry Potter, like embrace the things that make you happy. You know, we've got a lot of things in our world that are challenging and not fun. Um, Well, you look down on a lot of people. You're like seven foot nine. (laughs) Right. So that's, 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 you know, but I don't do it intentionally. You know, I, I don't look down on people because of their, their preferences, um, in, in film, like, like whatever you like. But so when I say casual fan, you know, please, listeners, don't don't take that as you know, I'm, I'm looking down on on people at all. But so to, to understand the perspective of your casual movie goer who just wants to throw popcorn in their face and, and have a good time at the movies, like sometimes I have to take a step back and realize that not everybody's like following the news on this stuff and texting stories back and forth on the with their friends would like you and I do when something new develops. And, and we're paying attention to this stuff and we can separate, okay, so the Pattinson movie takes place in this kind of universe, it's its own thing. The Joker movie is its own thing. And then the DCEU is its own thing. But then there's these other things that are mostly connected, kind of, sort of, they branch off a bit. They're supposed to take place. like We can sort of keep track of that, but it's kind of a mess. And like <laughs> I said, I, I just really want these things to make, it's frustrating when these things don't make sense. And I think for the studio, you know, they're going to be further ahead. Certainly they're trying to cash in on what Marvel was able to do and what Disney was able to do with their Marvel properties and have, you know, just these, these movies that make all of the money. Um, But there's been so many missteps and you wonder what would have happened had Snyder not had the terrible tragedy that happened in his life. You know, if he would have stayed with this project all the way through, what would this film actually have looked like? Um, And that, and the fact that he's coming back to it now, The thing that's very interesting to me is will this film be considerably darker? Now, obviously, we know Snyder is kind of a dark director. That's sort of his thing. But coming back to a movie that he left before he could finish it for terrible, tragic reasons, will that make this movie even darker. Um, certainly we've seen when filmmakers are in dark places in their lives, it has an, an effect on their work. Uh, most notably, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg talked about both of them were in bad places with their relationships, um, not with each other, but with with their uh, without other people uh, when they made uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And that's a very dark movie when you go back to it, you know, the whole Kalima and he's yanking the, the dude's yeah. heart out of his chest. Like that's a that's not a movie you sit down and watch with your kids. Um, you know, will that have the same effect here? Uh, will he look at some of, some of the lightheartedness that was tr- attempted to be added to this that didn't really work, that didn't save the movie and pull it all out and just make it even darker? I think a lot of what Warner is going to try to do and, and their parent company of AT&T and, and HBO Max and all of the other things that they're putting together for DC... I think a lot of the future of these films is going to rest on the fan reaction to the Snyder Cut. I think that if it is well-received, if people start you know, subscribing to HBO Max in, in droves and there's a lot of buzz um, of, of the fan community around this, you might see them decide that they're going to kind of retcon out the f- theatrical version and go with this one.
0: Yeah, I mean... Look, fan reaction is why we have the Snyder Cut in the first place. So, again, if this movie is good, there's a real shot here that fan reaction could force them to recalculate again, which is also kind of tricky, though, Um because you've flip-flopped, like we talked about so many times now, on what this universe is supposed to be. Um, You know, how much market do you capture if you decide again to go, well, we have to change the plan again, and we're going to go here, because with the Snyder Cut, you know, Wonder Woman eighty four. We've we've both watched that, and we both have some some strong opinions about Wonder Woman eighty four, and a lot of people do. Yep. The way that Diana is in Justice League does not line up with how she ends up in eighty four. Nope. Um, so there's there's a lot of issues even in this where it's supposed to be connected, where these characters don't line up. So is that even further pushed apart by a Snyder cut? And how do they maybe try to tighten some of that up if they go in this direction, um, which will be an interesting concept. But, you know, back to this movie, we get Superman being resurrected and they conveniently forget about the mother box just laying there. The thing that they've yeah. been trying to protect the whole yeah. movie, they're just like, oh, it's it's over there in the field. We're good because um, everybody had to go you know after superman but you know except for bruce who came in a little bit later because he had to make sure to go get lois as his backup plan and all the other nonsense that came with that um didn't have the armored suit on either by the way which would have made sense but you you completely just ignore this thing that you're like we have to make sure steppenwolf doesn't get these mother boxes but eh, whatever um so, yeah, you know, Superman goes on as the fate of the world is at stake here. Um, but he goes on his little hiatus to go see Lois and go see his mother and casually change his clothes. Um, you know, he's got time um, for that. But he just went and got an extra suit somewhere. <laughs> right, exactly. So you get him resurrected and we get to, you know, the final scene, which is, oh boy, the, the hangar scene coming out of the water is really bad. When you go back and look at it, there's a lot of digital effects that you can just see, you know, shining through, I'm saying not shining in a good way. Um, But you go to this random family that got plugged into the movie that why don't the parademons just bust through (laughs) that house? Like, that was another really weird scene in this movie, just this weird random family who, again, seems placed in there for no real reason. There's no connection to them. You have no reason to care about them other than you're supposed to care about another human being. But they're shoehorned into the movie. And I don't know, Like this... This ending fight scene, none of the battles in this movie are particularly good to me. They're just not. And and this is another one. Like You can't even end your movie
1: on a good fight scene. We should be excited to see, especially at the age that we're at with, with digital effects and CG and motion capture. And you think about some of the awesome. So thinking about even a film that Joss Whedon was involved in. Thinking about when... Tony and Thor and Cap all meet for the first time, you know, in that setting and, and Hulk is all involved. And there's that fight between all of them in, in the Avengers film uh, towards the beginning of it before they really team up. And you think about how good that is and you think about mm-hmm. just how good that looks. And then you think about what we get here. And it's it's so frustrating. There's no there's no emotional weight, You know, Superman shows up. right; It's the most obvious deus ex machina device Ever, you yeah. know, like it's just he shows up because of course he is, because everything he hasn't shown up yet, and everything looks like it all is to be lost, and he shows right up at that point. Well, because of course he does. Um, and then then you get kind of the hyenas on scar moment where the pair of demons turn on on Steppenwolf, and it's terrible. Like it just I wanted something completely different than that. It's there's there's no stakes that really feel like they matter. Like you get to the end of this and the, the movie really stops making sense at all about three quarters of the way into this. And, and it's just kind of like, they're just feeding you scene after scene mm-hmm. after scene, and just hoping you go with it and and not ask questions about it. And it's what's so frustrating is that, and again, we're using that word because that's the most accurate way to describe this. You think about superheroes in general, the most iconic, most popular superheroes, the ones that everybody knows. So if you put up a logo in front of people from the United States, from India, from Africa, from Poland, from anywhere in the world you want to do, and you ask people to recognize logos, people will recognize Superman. People will recognize Batman. People will recognize Wonder Woman. These characters matter. These are important characters, and we got great casting for all of them as I mentioned, Aquaman, not exactly a top tier character prior to Jason Mm -hmm. Momoa coming in. I mean, people sort of made fun of him, but he is fantastic in this role. I think Ezra Miller works in some points and, and doesn't work in other points, but we get some great casting. We have some great setups and these iconic characters are just wasted in this. We don't really get interesting ways of them using their abilities and and fighting together in ways that are, are compelling. It's such a frustrating waste.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, you have to, when when Superman comes in and Steppenwolf (laughs) says none of you can understand the truth and all well, I'm a believer in truth, but I'm also a big fan of justice. Like oh yeah, cringe. Okay. Massive cringe. Like, <laughs> um, you have that cringe scene. You again, why would there not be a fail like why would there not be a fail-safe to the parademons being not to turn on Steppenwolf? That that just seemed weird because again. They have no problem going and attacking him. I understand he's out in the open, but you're telling me at that moment, Steppenwolf was more afraid than this random family who has no powers or
1: abilities at all whatsoever. And the
0: parademons didn't just lunge and attack them. Like, again, you just, at the end of this movie, everything is thrown together. Nothing really makes sense. And then when they beat them, it's like the world from, Avatar from James Cameron comes to life in this in this (laughs) city, (laughs) like all of these weird, bright, beautiful flowers just start blossoming, and like yeah, you just this ending falls apart. Everything gets thrown together. You also get again; it doesn't even look real at the end when Clark and Bruce are standing there at the Kent farm. You look at that background shot from them, nothing looks real at all. It's like you couldn't even, it literally looks like they green screen that. Like you couldn't
1: film on a real location. Yeah, it, it really does look terrible. I mean, it's either the worst lit shot or it's a terrible green screen for reasons you don't need a green screen for a farm. Like you really yeah. don't. Um, I bought the bank.
0: You couldn't just buy back the house. Like, you didn't, you couldn't just win the house on an auction. Like, you You had to buy the bank. Like, again, like, I mean, I actually laughed at
1: that <laughs> scene. And I also laugh at the scene when, when Flash gets in his car and he says, What's your superpower? And he says, I'm rich. I actually, I, mean, I, laugh. I do find that funny. Like, I, those parts are kind of funny to me. Um, and then, you know, if we want to jump ahead just a little bit further, we get a post credit scene that, is also, to me, incredibly frustrating because, holy cow, does Joe Mangiola look perfect as Deathstroke. Perfect. I mean, the costume is perfect. Off the page to the screen. Perfect. And when he takes the helmet off, he looks perfect. And he's a very good actor. Um, You know, I, I really get frustrated that we might not get a payoff on that. Like, just as... as That was added in, too. That was not the original end credit scene. That was completely shot new. And that's, that's again, one of the frustrating things. Like, look, I don't really like Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. I, I don't really like that take on the character. I, I mean, I, you don't have to do the same way we've seen Lex. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know... That version every time. I mean, certainly we've seen multiple interpretations of the Joker. Each one has been something a little bit interesting and unique and different. Uh, Not a big fan, by the way, of Jared Leto's interpretation of it. It it just kind of it's weird and creepy and, and not really in a scary way, just in a creepy way. Like somebody just needs to smack this guy around a little bit. Like I don't I don't fear him the way I do like Heath Ledger's interpretation or Jack Nicholson's interpretation. And certainly the the interpretation we get uh, in the Arkham games uh, is presented by uh, Mark Hamill. You know, his version is great. Yeah. Um, but I, so I don't necessarily need the brooding, bald megalomaniac genius Lex Luthor every time, but I just. It's like this guy was on a sugar high. Like yeah. his mannerisms
0: were like he had too much caffeine every
1: minute of the day yeah it it reads more that he's not a, a a genius megalomaniac, and it almost reads more like he's he's got some kind of disorder, you mm-hmm. know that and not to make light of people with disorders, but like it just it 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 doesn't read well. Uh, but you know the idea of introducing you know the Legion of doom, um wow, that that could have been cool and, and we've already got introductions of most of those characters uh, throughout, uh, some of these films, you know, if we could just get Sinestro and a proper green lantern movie, um, you know, that could be a lot of fun. But again, if, if the Snyder cut doesn't do well, if it's not well-received, it's unlikely we will see any of that. I think.
0: Yeah, no, I, A lot. I think, obviously we know we're getting, you know, the Robert Pattinson, the Batman movie. Uh, We know that we are getting another Aquaman. Uh, We know we're getting another Shazam. We know we're getting Black Adam. But I really think the Snyder Cut reaction will dictate what actually happens in those movies. And not saying it'll completely change it, but if the Snyder Cut is well received, I do think there's some we need to find a way to make these maybe more connected than what they are. So this is going to be really interesting to see uh, We're, you know, we're close March 18th, the center cut comes out. Uh, you have to have the day off to, <laughs> to really take this in. Cause again, yeah. like we've talked about, this is, this is four hours. This is not a movie that I, you know, for listeners of the show, Rob and I, we don't work the same schedule, but we work the same hours. So we have specific shifts for the company that we work for. Um, this is not something Rob, where if we work a nine to six shift, I want to come home and watch, and, and watch this. Um, no, you, you got to take a whole day off of uh, yeah, this one. I, I need the day off to
1: sit here and watch this. And cause you got to have a meal break in the middle. You're probably gonna have to go to the bathroom a couple of times. I mean, it's four hours. I mean, it's, it's kind of daunting. I mean, is we, this it, the longest movie ever? Um, it, you know, it's close to it. I mean, Titanic was three, I think. Um, there was the um there's the the movie Gettysburg that was the adaption of the novel The Killer Angels that was actually quite long as well. I think that one was maybe three, three and a half. Uh, uh, Endgame was three hours and like
0: ten minutes. Yeah. Uh Lincoln was three hours, but I I don't ever remember a movie being four hours long. Yeah, we're not we're not
1: talking. We're not
0: talking it's four hours because we counting 30 minutes of credits like yeah. we're talking. We have four hours of on screen film, which is it's it's going to be interesting because regardless of whether or not maybe this is good, does four hours again when we talk about somebody who maybe isn't a super fan is four hours just too much.
1: I think a lot of people will pause this and come back to it i know you won't be one of them you'll be lit. you'll be sitting <laughs> on your couch with the dog and you will be just you know you'll have the surround sound cranked up you're you're locked in my phone's um, on silent this is yep. it like this is yep this the, four the shades hours are drawn like, dedicated yep like this you, this is set aside you know you might have pizza delivery scheduled so you don't have to get up much <laughs> you know to even prepare food for yourself um Although the interesting thing about the Snyder cut is is there might be more people like you than we realize because that's why this is being made. You know, yeah. that's why. is because the internet kind of demanded it. You know, Zack Snyder certainly put it out there like, hey, I've got this thing. This and, isn't 100 fans that yeah. are like, I want to see it. Like, you're you're not
0: getting a $60 million reprieve to finish your movie because 100 people said, you better give us the Snyder cut. Like, no, this is... A pretty good swelling of support to see this. And I think some of it too just boils down to regardless of what you thought about his other movies, because again, we didn't really like Batman v Superman. I
1: thought Man of Steel had its moments. It was okay. We both liked Watchmen. Yeah. This is I think I like Sucker Punch better than you did. Just think it as Zack Snyder films in general. Yeah. You know, this is also for me just. I
0: want to see what the vision was. And regardless of if if it's bad, I'll be happy to have seen this uh, because I really just want to see
1: what the vision was. And honestly, not only will we get that, but we'll get kind of a corrected version of it, too, because he can uh, he has the ability to use the feedback that was given three years of time to think about how he would have done it differently. And maybe stuff that he would have incorporated into the theatrical version, if he was able to see it through the whole way, maybe gets edited out.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, one thing that I didn't mention, and uh, we're closing up this episode here. One fantastic thing is Danny Elfman gets to utilize, they use that score for Batman yes. when he's standing there before they meet Gordon. That's a quick little thing, but man, I, woof, God, I, I, I got goosebumps here and then. I was like, okay, this, this is what I wanted that's one thing. He looks great as Batman. He
1: still does. Um, the the music, the little nod to that is fantastic. And I believe we get a little bit of the Superman theme too. Yes. Uh, you know, but having having those elements introduced uh, are certainly good. And while we're on the subject of music, um, using White Stripes, Icky Thump is great. And having Gary Clark Jr. cover come together and just in his version of it, it's one of my all-time favorite covers out there because it takes the... The inspiration of what was cool about the original song, but the artist plays it his way. And I'm a big fan of Gary Clark Jr. in general, and I love that he, you know, just gave us this ballsy, fantastic, swaggering version of of Come Together um, to to end the film on. Before we get the the really cool post credit scene, that's frustrating as hell because it may not pay off ever.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, you get the post credit scene of Superman and Flash doing a race. That was cool, but again, you never know what the payoff is going to be. But with Justice League, I'm going to go ahead and say, and I have this on my Letterbox account as a, a movie that I reviewed. Um, for fans that know what Letterboxd is, it's where you can just click on every single movie that you've ever seen, leave a review, or just rate it stars and everything like that. Uh, I have this rated as... One and a half stars on my letterbox account Ooh. out of five, which would translate to one and a half reels on Matt Goes to the movies. So I really don't like this movie. Um, which is weird because, like I said, I've seen it six times. Um <laughs> you've
1: seen it more times and you dislike it more than I do. Right. <laughs> so, Rob, what are your what is your rating here for Justice League as we're finishing up? So like I mentioned before this is not Logan this is not Endgame this is not any of the great films you know this is not X-Men first class this is this is not Deadpool none of the great films within the sh- the superhero genre this is not the Christopher Nolan trilogy but, it's, but it's, it's not Catwoman it's not Catwoman it's not Electra it's not Electra it's not Daredevil you know it's not Thor the Dark World um you know it's not as bad as the film that came before it um you know, this to me is two and a half, you know, it's, it's not good. It could have been good. It's not laughably bad, like Batman and Robin. It's, it's kind of just exists in that, you know, we're, we're almost at the point where we're expecting too much out of our superhero films because we've seen them be really good. And this one just kind of felt rushed at different points. It felt like there just wasn't explanations given. We're just supposed to go with it. And that's, that's, you know, as a, as a fan of good film, it's hard to accept. But it's, it's not as bad as what a lot of fans talk about this movie as. I mean, again, it's not good. Uh, for me, two and a half reels. All right. Well, listeners, again, uh, another episode of Matt Goes
0: to the Movie for Justice League. Uh, regardless of how I feel about this movie, I had a lot of fun doing this episode. And I'm going to look really, really forward to doing the Snyder Cut of Justice League which Rob will join me for because it's going to be incredibly interesting to see what happens here with this movie. So, we've got that coming down the pipeline and we also have we actually did something today which I have to really thank Rob for. If you're listening to this episode, the 1-year anniversary of Matt Ghost the movies is coming up and we did a first time ever video to talk about things that are coming in March and, you know, coming, you know, to future episodes. One of those is going to be the Snyder Cut of Justice League. We're doing Kong vs Godzilla. If you've listened to Mondays with Maximoff, we have the season finale of WandaVision that we're doing as well. Uh, We're going to get into Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which Harrison from the Basement Binge will join Rob and I again for. So a lot of stuff to look forward to. You're going to see all the show notes here. So again, shout out to Rob for helping me with this episode, helping me record this first ever Matt goes to the movies video that you're going to be seeing and looking forward to a lot of great things. Listeners plug the email and send us your thoughts on this review on movies, what you maybe want to see from us. Um, If there's a movie that you think you like, or you don't like, and you like to hear our opinion on it. Number one, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, I yeah. never, I never thought I'd even have listeners to this thing. I just did it because I was sitting at home bored yeah. from from COVID, and our our job was closed for two months. And I said, "Well, let me just record my thoughts." Um, so I, you know, we love to hear what you think about these reviews and about these movies. It's a lot of fun. Uh, that email address is m g t t m podcast at gmail.com again that's going to be in the show notes we have the official facebook page instagram page uh we're on youtube we do video clips to promote
1: shows on tiktok which is also matt goes to the movies matt will not be dancing though unfortunately on tiktok
0: yeah no uh not only do i have two left feet but i just i still can't I, I can't bring myself to do that um but there's a lot of ways to interact with the channel which we really appreciate so thanks for listening to this episode rob thanks as always for yep. helping out this was a lot of fun and we're going to see you next episode